0: we do thank you for how you guide and direct us and that we are able to be gathered into your presence here this morning. As uh, Dr. Reed comes now to bring us your word, may our hearts be attentive to that which you would speak to us through him. Would you anoint him for your purposes as he comes? And Father, may we know that we have met with you here this morning by hearing your voice. Thank you for this in Christ's name, amen. Have a seat. It's my privilege to... Uh, Welcome uh, Rick Reed with us here once again this morning. Uh, Rick has been a great friend to us as a congregation. Oh, there you are. (laughs) I was looking back where you're sitting at. He's not there. (laughs) Where'd he go? Ah, Okay. He is here. (laughs) Rick's been a great friend. We usually have announced him as president. He is now the chancellor of Heritage uh, Bible College. And uh, just we appreciate him coming and sharing God's word. It's always wonderful to have you here. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Paul.
1: Well it's a delight to be back at James North. Uh, I I love this church. I love what you stand for. I love how you do things and your team Paul and Derek and others. uh, It's a joy that you would invite me back. Linda and I love coming and uh, sensing what God is doing in you and through you. That's a beautiful thing. I do bring you greetings from the school from Heritage College and Seminary. Uh, We are just up the road in Cambridge and I'll mention a little bit more about it a little bit later but If you'd like to know more, I'd be happy to chat with you about the programs we have both on undergraduate and graduate level. And there's a lot of ways that we can serve the church and we seek to do that. But my joy today is to get to open God's word with you and point you and point my own heart heavenward. We've already had that happen through the baptisms and now we get to do that through the scriptures. So did I tell you about the conversation that happened in our home between this goblet and this
0: glass.
1: (laughs) I don't think they knew I was listening, or I don't think they would have spoken as loudly as they did. They were going on and on. Mostly the goblet was doing the talking. In fact, the goblet was laying down the smack. It was telling the glass how much more valuable goblets are than glasses. It was reminding the glass that this goblet, crystal stemware, has a much more exquisite pedigree than a simple glass. It's more impressive, more expensive. In fact, the goblet was saying, listen, buddy, you come from Walmart. You came in a box with 18 other ones just like you, and it cost 15 bucks for the whole lot of you. I came from the bay. I was in a box with just one other goblet, and the two of us cost 50 bucks. While this conversation was going on, mostly the glass was silent. It didn't say anything. Finally, when the goblet kind of ran out of steam, the the glass spoke up and said, You know, I'll admit, I'll admit, I'm not nearly as impressive. I'm not nearly as expensive as you are. In fact, the only thing I've got going for me is that I'm useful. I mean, you sit up there in your high and mighty perch in the hutch, Kind of gathering dust, I'm in the kitchen cupboard. And almost every meal, they pull me down and put me on the table, and somebody uses me. So I may not be impressive. I may not be expensive, but at least I'm useful. At least I'm useful. That's the phrase that caught me. At least I'm useful. Because when you think about it, that's what a glass was designed to be useful. That's what makes a glass sparkle and shine. Now, full disclosure, this conversation actually never really happened in my house. Uh, you, You probably figured that one out. This is a bit of a parable, right? It's a bit of a story. It makes a point, though. The goblet and the glass represent two Christians. One has a higher pedigree than the other. One is more impressive. One is a stronger appearance, has a different station in life. The other one seems more ordinary, kind of a Walmart Christian a kitchen-cupboard Christian. But it could turn out that the one that seems more ordinary ends up being more useful. And being useful is what a Christian was designed to be. Being useful is what makes a Christian sparkle and shine. So it raises the question, how do you become useful? How, even if you see, feel somewhat ordinary, how can you be useful to God? That's what I want to talk to you about today. How to be useful to God. I'm sensing that I'm surrounded by men and women, many of whom have that deep desire to be useful to God. Today, as we heard Kyra and Katrina and Daniel give their stories, you just sensed in their hearts a desire to say, God, here's my life. I'm following you. Please use me. And I imagine if we had a chance to hear from many others of you, you'd say something similar. You'd say something like, I may not be that impressive. I may not be that expensive, But I'd like to be useful. How does that happen? Today I want to take you to a passage in Scripture that gives a crystal clear answer to that question, how to be useful to God. And if your heart beats with that desire to say, God, you know me, I'm not much, but I'd love to be useful, then this is a passage you'll want to hear and you'll want to heed. So would you join me there? Would you take a Bible and join me? I'm in 2 Timothy today. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 down through verse 22. And I want to talk to you about how to be useful to God. It's something that I long to be. I have a hunch that many of you would say, me too. So let's invite the Lord to use his word, to speak to our hearts, and then let's look at it together. Father, this morning as we gather, we celebrate you in our songs. We celebrate with those who've taken a step of obedience and baptism. And now, Lord, we, we are attentive we tune our hearts to listen, listen to your word. And we ask that your spirit would take the word which is living and active and let it be living and active in each of our hearts and show us today again what it's gonna take for us to be useful to you. And I pray this for your glory, but also for our joy. Amen. 2 Timothy is a book written by the apostle Paul to a young man named Timothy who was like his son in the faith. And Timothy was a pastor. He was positioned there in Ephesus, and Paul writes him a letter. In fact, this is the last letter Paul would write. Paul's in jail, about to be executed. So he writes this letter to Timothy, and what he does in this passage is he's kind of coaching him. He's discipling him on how to be useful, and in verses 14 through 22, we find at least two of the ways that a Christian can be useful to God. Two things that you must do, that I must do, that Timothy had to do if you want to be useful to God. What I want to do this morning is walk you through the verses and show them to you. Two ways that you can be useful to God. Two things, two requirements, two essentials to being useful to God. The first one comes out in verses 14 down through verse 19. Let me read them for you. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm picking it up in verse 14. Paul says, Timothy says to Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins those, or only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people to into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. In those verses, Paul tells Timothy, and God tells you, he tells me, One thing that's essential if you want to be useful to God, it really comes out in verse 15 most clearly, but then the other verses back it as well. I'd put it this way: If you want to be useful to God, to be useful to God, the first thing you have to do is prepare yourself in God's Word. You're going to have to prepare yourself in God's Word. You're going to have to give yourself to God's Word. You're going to have to let it be a high priority for you to be engaged with Scripture. If you want to be useful to God, this is a a non-negotiable. You have to prepare yourself in God's word. I get that most clearly out of verse 15 where Paul says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The uh, phrase there at the end where it says the word of truth, that's a a reference to God's word. God's word is the gold standard of truth. And he's saying, Timothy, you've got to handle the word of God rightly, but he says in verse 15, Timothy, you're gonna have to prepare yourself to do this. This doesn't happen automatically. You don't just fall into this, you have to lean into this. Because he says in verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Like Timothy, Timothy, you gotta go for this. Little phrase that's translated, do your best. It has the idea of, of like going for it, of being engaged in it. Some translations say, be diligent. Like, beyond this, get in, get engaged in this, put energy into this. So Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I know you want to be useful to God. Here's one thing you're going to have to do. Prepare yourself in God's word. Now, that was important for Timothy. He was a pastor. So you would expect, I would expect that, that Paul would say to him, Timothy, you've got to be all about God's word. You've got to get into God's word. You have to do your best. You have to give it your best effort. But you might be hearing this and going, yeah, but I'm not a pastor. So does this really affect and apply to me in the way it did to Timothy? And I'd say, well, probably not exactly in the same way, but some of you here are teachers. You teach kids in a Bible camp or a Bible class. Some of you teach youth. Some of you are small group leaders. Some in your campus are leading a discipleship group where you open God's word together. And listen, all of us, all of us have a chance at some point to take God's word and share it with somebody else. So there is a sense in which, like Timothy, we got to do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So I'd say to you, yeah, it is something that you and I also need to do. Not just Timothy, you and I. Prepare yourself in God's word. So how do you do that? Well, in the verses that follow and the verses that proceed, verse 14 down to verse 19, I think Paul tells Timothy, here's two things, Timothy, you got to do to prepare yourself in God's word. Two things that are going to be involved in that. Here's the first one. Get clear on truth. You're going to have to get clear on the truth. I say that because in verse 15, Paul says to him, you have to rightly handle the word of truth. Do you see that in verse 15 right at the end? Rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, The Greek phrase that's translated rightly handling means, literally means to cut it straight. So he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you got to prepare yourself in the word of God so that you can cut it straight, so that you can get it right. And that's going to take your best effort. You're going to have to get clear on the truth. Now listen, I want to commend you here at James North. I know that this is a church that highlights and lifts up the scriptures as God's truth. And I wanna commend you for being here today to say, I wanna hear it, I wanna get straight on it, I wanna learn it. And what I wanna to say to you is I commend you and I challenge you at the same time. Give yourself to that. You wanna be useful to God? There is no shortcut other than really getting straight on God's truth. So study it. Do you open the scriptures when you're not in church? Do you read it on your own? Do you have like a study Bible? that when there's parts of it that are unclear, you can look down and maybe get some helps or commentaries. Are you part of a Bible study group, maybe on campus, for so, those of you at Mac or those of you here in, at James North in the church? What we do at Heritage is we help people major in the Word of God so they can help churches make a world of difference. That's that's what our school is all about. And we have ways, if you're interested, that we can help you. Even though you might be majoring in software design or computer science or in some diverse field, biotech field, we still have ways that you can tap in and go deeper in your faith, that you can take a course online, you could take it where you are, and you could audit it, you could d- dig into it. What I'm saying to you is there are ways that you can lean into getting clear on the truth. Because in our day and age, if you're not clear on the truth, you're not gonna be much useful to God. In fact, that leads to the second thing you have to do to prepare yourself in God's Word. It's the flip side of the first. Not only do you, does Paul say you've got to get clear on truth, the second thing he tells him is you've got to stay clear of error. Get clear on truth, stay clear of error. It's interesting to me, Paul really hammers the theme of staying clear from error. Like, don't get sucked into the wrong things. Look at how he says it, verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Look at verse 16. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more godliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Then Paul names some names. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth. They've departed from the truth. They're not clear on truth and they're going into error, they say that the resurrection has already happened. What what does that mean? Well, likely what it means is this. Hymenaeus and Philetus were out telling people, the resurrection has taken place. And you say, well, wait a second, it did. Jesus had already been raised from the dead when this book was written. So weren't they right? Well, they weren't talking about Jesus' resurrection. They were talking about Christians' resurrection. And they're saying, we are already in the age to come. The resurrection has happened. We're in the new eschaton. It's time. And Paul is saying, they're messing people up. They're not clear on the truth. They're falling into error. In fact, in verse 14, he says, it ruins the hearers. In verse 18, he says, they are upsetting the faith of some. See, the stakes are really high here, my brothers and sisters. Unless you get clear on truth and stay clear of errors, you could hurt people. You can tell people things that are patently false and think that they're true, like Hymenaeus and Philetus, and you can mess with people's spiritual lives. And you don't want to do that. You don't. You want to be useful to God for good, not for ill. So Paul is saying to Timothy, and God is saying to you: Do you want to be useful to God? And you say, Yeah, I do. Actually, I'd like to be useful to God. Then he's saying, Then what you need to do is prepare yourself in God's word, get clear on the truth. Stay clear of error. Don't get sucked into speculations. Don't get, go down sidewaters. Stay in the mainstream. Get the things that are true and stay true to them. Paul is telling Timothy to do that. God is telling you the same thing. God is telling me the same thing. To be useful to God, prepare yourself in his word. But that's only the first of the two things. You can do that and still wash out when it comes to being useful to God. There's a second thing you have to do And that comes out in verses 20 to 22. Let me read those verses for you. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, here's the phrase, useful to the master of the house, And ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Hey, here's the second thing. You want to be useful to God? You say, Yes, I do. Then the first thing Paul says to Timothy, God says to you and me is this then prepare yourself in God's word. But the second thing he says out of verses 20 to 22 is this to be useful to God. Purify yourself for God's work. Prepare yourself in God's word, but also, but also, don't miss this one, purify yourself for God's work. That idea of purification or getting clean comes out in verses 20 to 21. In fact, Paul uses the analogy of vessels in a large house. He says in a large house, there's different kinds of vessels. Now, he doesn't talk about crystal stemware or just simple glass tumblers, Paul mentions there in verse 20, he says, in a large Greek household, in a large Jewish household, there would be different kinds of vessels. And he says, some are made out of gold, maybe like a golden cup. Some are made out of silver, he says, like a silver chalice. Some are made out of wood, like a wood bowl. And some are made out of clay, like a clay pot. And then Paul says this in verse 20, some of those vessels are for honorable use, Like, they're useful in a good way. But he also says in verse 20, did you notice, some of them are for dishonorable use. Like, they're not really useful for good stuff. So what determines whether a vessel is useful or not? He tells you in verse 21. Look at it. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Do you see it? What determines your spiritual usefulness is your spiritual cleanliness. It's not how costly you are. It's how clean you are. That's what he says. Verse 20, look at it again. Verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable. In other words, he's saying, what makes, what makes a vessel honorable? What makes it useful to the master is not how costly it is, but how clean it is. It's not whether it's ornate or whether it's ordinary. It doesn't matter. It matters if it's clean. Not what it looks like on the outside, but what it's like on the inside. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather drink out of a silver chalice that was dirty or a clay jar that was clean? You'd say, well, I'll take the clay jar that's clean. And that's the the point that Paul is making to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, Timothy, listen. It doesn't matter if you've got a golden gift. It doesn't matter if you've got a silver tongue. If you're not clean, you're not useful to the master. It's your spiritual cleanliness that will determine your spiritual usefulness. You want to be useful to the master? And you say, I do. Then he says, you've got to purify yourself for God's work. fact he even uses that phrase in verse 21 if anyone cleanses himself that may seem a little confusing cleanse yourself i thought jesus cleansed us what do you mean cleanse yourself do we somehow earn our cleanliness do we somehow clean our lives up i don't think that's what he's saying we are cleansed by the blood of christ first john 1 9 if anyone confesses his sin God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's nothing you can do to get rid of your sins other than come to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you clean me up? And he does that. When you put your faith in him, he cleanses you. But there is a sense going forward where you play a part in staying clean. There's a part in which you're active, like you have a part to play. You're not just a passive observer on your own life. You're an active participant. So what Paul does next is masterful in my mind. He talks to Timothy. He says, Timothy, you got to be clean. I want you to be useful, so you got to be clean. And he's saying this to Timothy. Timothy is a pastor. Like, don't you think Timothy knows that already? He'd say, well, yeah, I bet he already knew that. And wasn't Timothy kind of a already kind of a solid, strong Christian? Yes, he was. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says about Timothy, he says, Timothy's my best guy. I got nobody else like Timothy. Timothy's at the top of my list. So Paul is telling Timothy, who he already sees as a spiritually mature pastoral leader, he's saying, Timothy, you got to stay clean. In other words, he's saying this, Timothy, you are not bulletproof. You can be taken out, Timothy. And I love you like my own son. So I'm saying to you, this is my last letter. I'm about to head to heaven. So Timothy, I want this ringing in your ears. Timothy, stay clean. Jesus has cleansed you, but now you have a part to play in staying clean so you can stay useful. So how do you stay clean? How do you cleanse yourself, as it were? What's our part? I think Paul unpacks it in verse 22. And I want to go through verse 22 as we land this thing, bite by bite. I want to show you what he says to Timothy. If you want to to purify yourself for God's work, follow Paul's thinking in verse 22 and apply it personally. This is how you stay clean so you can stay useful. Look at verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Let's take it a step at a time. The first thing Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you want to stay stay clean so you can be useful? Timothy would say, yes, I do. First thing that he would say is this, run away from temptation, Timothy. Run away from it. Don't linger. Don't loiter. Run from it. Run scared, Timothy. That's what he says in verse 22. Flee. Flee youthful passions. The idea of fleeing, when you think of someone who is fleeing, that's not somebody who's jogging, right? That's not somebody who's sauntering. That's somebody who's bolting. That's someone who's sprinting. That's someone who is fearful and running scared when they're fleeing, fleeing a burning building, fleeing a crime scene. Whatever you're fleeing, you're running scared and you're running fast. When I was just a kid, I, uh, I lived in California, and my buddy Dave and I went with his dad hiking up in the California hills. One of the uh, downsides of California, which we loved California, one of the downsides is they do—they are the home of the diamondback rattlesnake. Not my favorite. Rattlesnakes uh, typically are pretty venomous. They can be pretty deadly. But they typically announce themselves with this distinctive rattle. If you get near them, it's like they shake their tail and they kind of say, warning, warning, get away. So there were this pile of boulders, and Dave and I, who were both in about grade five or grade six, We started climbing on the boulders. And as we were stepping over boulders, suddenly we heard down below that distinctive rattle, that... And we, nobody had, his dad, nobody had to tell us what to do. We jumped off the rocks and we started running. We didn't know where we were running, but we were running away from wherever that thing was. And it was interesting to me. Dave was the fastest kid in our class. When we had foot races, he always won. Until that day. Like that day, I kept up with him. We're past him. I was more scared than he was. His dad was back there going, boys, boys, come back, you know. We were fleeing. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you want to stay clean? You got to flee youthful passions. You got to run like it's a snake that could kill you. You can't linger with this. You can't loiter with this. You can't play around with this, Timothy. You are not bulletproof, Timothy. What does he mean by youthful passions, do you think? So flee youthful passions. Well, they're the passions that hit you hardest when you're young. A number of you here are students. This would kind of be a bullseye for you. What are the things that tempt you most as a young man or a young woman? You know what I find? I'm not a young man or a young woman anymore. But some of the youthful passions don't go away just because you're not a youth anymore. But what are those passions? Well, in our context, one of them, one of the youthful passions would be being quarrelsome and argumentative, because that's what Paul keeps saying. In fact, look what he says next, verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know, they breed quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. So what are the youthful passions is being a hothead who thinks he knows more than he knows and argues with everything about everyone about everything. Paul says, don't do that. Flee that. But if you read the rest of the New Testament, Paul uses the word flee at least three other times. Let me tell you what else he says to flee. 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, flee the love of money. It doesn't say flee money. You're going to need some to survive. But he says, flee the love of it. Like run scared from becoming enamored and intoxicated with wealth. It'll mess you up. So flee the love of money, he says in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, flee immorality. Flee immorality. Flee anything that's sexually going to pull you in and pull you down. Timothy, run from that. Don't linger. Don't loiter. Run. Run scared. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, flee idolatry. Flee anything that you would elevate to a place where it kind of crowds out God and it becomes the main thing in your life. Don't let anything take God's place. Flee, run from that, Timothy. So here's what I want to say to you, my friends, my brothers and my sisters. You have all lived long enough to know what temptations are most dangerous for you. You should know that by now. That should not be a mystery to you. And you should know those times and places when you are most vulnerable, most vulnerable to watching something that your eyes should not be seeing, doing something that your hand should not be doing, saying something that your mouth, you you know what are the danger zones for you. You can hear the rattle beneath the boulders when when you get near this. And what I'm saying is if you want to be useful to God, you got to learn to flee when you hit that not to somehow think I'm strong enough, I can handle this. I'm sure I haven't handled it before, but I'm sure today will be different. Paul says to Timothy, God says to you, no, 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 run from that. In fact, don't even go near that. Once you know where the snake is, don't go where the snake is. So let me ask you, are you doing that? Are you fleeing the things that can pull you down or are you kind of hovering around the edges and kind of hoping you'll be okay. If you do that, there's a good chance you will end up not being useful to God because you got to be clean. So the first thing he says is you got to run away from temptation. But that's not all. Look back at verse 22. Let's keep going bit by bit. He says, flee youthful passions and, so here's another thing, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue righteousness faith love and peace so run away from temptations and now he says this run towards godliness you don't just run away you run towards you run towards what's godly you run towards righteousness you run towards faith you run towards love you run towards peace you actively pursue it in fact the greek word that's translated pursue is the same greek word that's sometimes translated persecute it has the idea of chasing something down So Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, Timothy, the Christian life is not just about running away, it's about running towards. You run away from what can mess you up, but you run towards the things that will build you up. You run towards righteousness. You run towards faith. You run towards love. You run towards peace. Here's what I found, my friends. If you run towards those things, if you intentionally go after righteousness, God will use you. Have you found that out? Like when you're really going for it spiritually, somehow He just puts you in places where you can be useful to other people. When you pursue faith, when you lean into things where you have to trust the Lord, maybe for some of you it would be like I saw Tor, a, a young lady at our school. Last year she leaned into going to Italy for the summer to be a summer missionary. She had to raise a pile of money. And as we got closer and closer to the deadline where she's supposed to fly to Italy, she didn't have the money there. And I remember watching her faith grow. as she thought, you know, I put out the word, I'm praying, I'm saving, but Lord, I'm gonna have to count on you. And as she pursued that, as she stepped into an arena where she needed faith, it was like her faith grew and she grew and God provided and she spent the summer in Northern Italy and God used her. She was youthful to the master because she was leaning into faith. It could be something here at James North where you're leaning into a service area. It's, it's bigger than you are, and you say, but I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna, it's gonna take faith, but I'm gonna do it. When you do that, you put yourself in an arena where God uses you. Same thing with love. When you pursue love, maybe there's somebody in your sphere of influence that you look at and go, that person is hard for me to love. For a variety of reasons, there's a variety of things. I would... I would I just, don't, I just don't get them. I don't get them. I don't like them. I don't find them easy. But if God is impressing on your heart that you need to love them, and you pursue that, like you do things that are loving even before you feel loving, what happens is God starts using you. You're useful to the master. Or when you pursue peace, that was the other one. Maybe there's a scenario in your family or in your life or in your res hall, in your church small group, where there's a lack of peace right now, relationally. There's some friction. As you pursue that, as you pursue peace, God uses you to be a peacemaker. Even if the other people don't respond well, he's using you. So Paul says to Timothy, and God says to you, you want to be useful? Here's what you got to do. Run away from temptation, but run towards godliness. Run towards it. Pursue it. Persecute it. Chase it down. The Christian life is not passive. It is active. And you're running towards. So what have we seen? Run away from, run towards, but there's more. Look at verse 22. Let's keep going. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace along with those oh here's an interesting one he says to timothy when he says along with those he would say this run away run towards but also run with run with run along with those who are calling on the lord in other words run with other runners timothy you're going to need some people to keep you going you're going to have to find those who you can run along with ajith fernando is a sri lankan christian leader Uh, older man now, but has had an incredible ministry over the years in Sri Lanka and in North America. Ajith says about this verse, he said, for years and years, I read this verse just individually. I've got to run away from temptation. I've got to run towards godliness. He said, and I miss the fact that God says, you do have to run, but you don't have to run alone. Run along with those, along with those. I think what he's saying is this. If you want to be useful to God, don't go alone. Find some other people in your life that spur you on, that hold you accountable, that push you forward, that inspire you. I loved Katrina's testimony today when she said, when she was at Mac, she was kind of surrounded by a bunch of people that kind of were going where she was going. Now she's in the workforce. It's a little harder but she's leaning into it, and she's got a a dear sister who's with her. In other words, you're going to have to find some people here at the church on your campus. You're going to have to find some people if you want to run and be useful to God who will run right alongside of you. My my first year in university, I went to a school called Biola down in Los Angeles. I was there, and I, I was away from my family. About eight hours, they were up north, and I was all by myself. I didn't know anybody and I remember one morning, early on, my first year, I prayed to God a prayer. I said, God, I could sure use some friends that would help me stay at this. And that, I think it was that morning or the next morning, I was walking up to the cafeteria for breakfast. And a, a guy from Washington State, who I just got to know his name, I didn't really know him, a guy named Rob. Rob was walking up, so I, we walked up together. And somehow, somehow, the conversation got going where we both realized we were looking for the same thing. We were looking for somebody to spur us on and keep us going. And so I said, you-, you want that too? And he goes, yeah, you want that too? So we decided to intentionally get together every week after chapel on campus and just say to each other, how are you growing? What are you reading in God's word? Are you staying in the scriptures? What's pulling you down spiritually? How can we pray for you? Pretty soon, Charlie and Mark joined us, and we had a little quartet of us, and for the better part of a year or plus years, we would meet every week, and I had some runners that ran with me. Listen, I found out that I needed that. I needed some people that would look me in the eyes and say, so how are you doing really? What are you getting out of God's Word? If you want to be useful to God, you got to stay clean. How do you stay clean? Well, you run away from what's evil. You run towards what's good, but you got to run with other runners. So let me ask you, are you, are you doing this thing solo? Are you kind of kind of playing it all on your own? And I'm saying to you, that's not, the way, that's not the way that God designed this. He designed you to be in community where others would spur you on and push you forward. When you stumble, they pick you up. So you run away from what's evil. You run towards what's good. You run with other runners. But there's one last thing in verse 22. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Uh, Here's the last one. You run calling on the Lord. Like as you're running, you're calling on the Lord. Because that's what everyone, the runners are doing, right? Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The Greek word for pure is the same word for clean. So when your heart's cleaned up, you've come to Jesus, he's cleaned you up. Now he's given you this pure heart. What you do what you keep doing? You call on the name of the Lord. That's how you become a Christian. You call on the name of the Lord. Romans 10:13. everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The way you became a Christian, you heard it today in the testimonies that were in the baptism. They, each of those three people came to a place where they called on the Lord and said, Lord, I need you to save me. I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. I say yes to you. They called on the name of the Lord. and Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, you could be here today and you've never called on the name of the Lord to be saved. You could do that like, we, like these three young people did, like so many here have done. You can put your faith in Christ and say, Jesus, I'm calling on you. I need you to save me. I'm calling on you to save my life, forgive my sins, give me new life. You can do that today. You can block me out and just talk to God. I'd urge you to do that if you never have. But listen, once you call on the name of the Lord for salvation, you're not done. You call on him for salvation, but you keep calling on the name of the Lord for strength. As you run this race, you're going to get tired. You're going to get tempted. You're going to get tossed around. And it's interesting, those who are running, verse 22, are calling on the Lord with a pure heart. As you're running, you're saying to the Lord, Lord, today I need you. I'm feeling the pull of temptations that get me so many times. God, please help me, help me. Lord, I need you today. I'm calling on your name. I'm discouraged. Feels like it's all uphill. It feels like this Christian life is against the wind. I feel all alone today. I'm calling on your name. As you're running, you're calling In fact, in the original text, the the verb there translated, call on the name, it's in the present tense. It's something that's happening on an ongoing basis. You keep calling. You never stop calling. You call on him for salvation. You call on him for strength. You call on him with other believers who are running around you. You call on him to keep you from going towards temptation. You call on him to keep you running towards what's good. And as you do that, here's what Paul is saying to Timothy and God is saying to you. Then your life, then your life is positioned to be useful to God. And you say, that's what I want. I want that. You want to be useful to God? Prepare yourself in God's word. Purify yourself for God's work. You see, you may take stock of yourself. And look in the mirror and say, listen, I know myself. I'm never going to be that fancy, impressive, spectacular goblet. That's just not me. Pretty ordinary. I'm Just more of that simple glass jar. I, I, I got nothing that's going to wow people. That's not who I am. Paul says to Timothy, and God says to you, but that's not what makes you usable to God. It's not how fancy you are. It's not whether you're gold or silver. You can be clay or wood. Just got to be clean. So prepare yourself in his word. Keep doing that. Purify yourself for his work. And then, and then, you will have the joy of letting the master of the house pick you out of the cupboard and say, I got something for you to do. You'll be useful. And being useful is what a Christian was designed to be. Being useful is what makes a Christian sparkle and shine. Let's pray. Why don't you just take a moment and process all of this? If there's an area today where God has been speaking to your heart where you've not been running from the bad stuff, you've been lingering, loitering, and tripping, you need to ask for His, con- his forgiveness. You confess your sins, you repent. And then you ask him to give you the power. You call on the name of the Lord to say, Lord, help me to run towards what's right. Help me to run with other runners. Why don't you ask him for that help? Or help me to prepare myself in your word, Lord, not to, not to treat it casually, but to get into it. Wherever God is speaking to you today, why don't you talk to him privately, and then I'll, I'll close by praying for us collectively. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know who we are better than we know who we are. We've got nothing to impress you. We've got no resume that's going to make you uh, be surprised and stunned by who we are. You know who we are, Lord. We're very simple, ordinary people. But Lord, we would still love the privilege of having the master of the house pull us out of the cupboard and letting us be useful. So to that end, I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit as we call on your name. Help us to be men and women of your word and help us to be men and women who are purified so that we can be part of your work. And I pray this all in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.